if you're an incredible speaker, if you could talk any room, if you could talk to anyone with ease, how would the world change? Public speaking. It strikes fear into the hearts of many. But with the right foundation, anyone can deliver a captivating presentation and feel confident doing it. On the show today, Brendan from Master Talk is here to share his best advice on how to overcome fear of public speaking and some strategies to shift the way we look at giving presentations. Brendan is a communication expert who works one-on-one helping people improve their speaking skills and is also the creator of the highly successful Master Talk YouTube channel where he shares his knowledge and passion for great public speaking. If the idea of giving that next presentation fills you with dread, then strap in for today's episode of Mindset Mastery. Brendan, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you today? Very good, Rachel. How about yourself? Very good. Thank you. Let's talk about Master Talk. Tell me how you got started and what is it that you love about public speaking and helping other people feel confident to give presentations? Yeah, absolutely. So what happened was when I was in university, I used to do these things called case competitions. It's like professional sports, but for nerds. So other guys my age were playing rugby or footy or cricket or some other sport. I wasn't really into that kind of stuff. So what I did, oddly enough, is I did competitions that were related to presentations. That's what I did for three years, presented hundreds of times, coached dozens of people on their communication skills. And the goal was really just to get a job in corporate. And it's just something I really enjoyed doing. But when I started watching a lot of the YouTube videos on communication from other people, kind of just looked at it and said, none of this makes any sense. It's just very general, like, tell me about yourself or be yourself or get up on stage. And I just went, well, this is not very useful. So I started making videos in my mother's basement and never looked back ever since. Yeah, awesome. So you work with people now as well, one-on-one to help them with their public speaking and presentation skills. What do you find is one of the most common reasons that people are afraid of public speaking? I would say the biggest reason why most people are afraid is judgment. But I would say the reason behind that judgment is perception. So most people perceive public speaking as a bad thing like a chore, the equator to doing the dishes. And by the way, it's not their fault. If you think about it, Rachel, almost all of the presentations we give in our life are mandatory. We don't wake up one morning and say, hey, Rachel, you want to get breakfast and present all day? Yep. <laughs> don't, I don't think uh, maybe there's maybe four people besides me in my country who says that. Everyone else probably doesn't say that. But when we're always presenting topics we don't like, especially in school, but we're always presenting topics we don't really care about and we see it as a chore and it's work. And it's never fun. Why would we enjoy doing it? Mm-hmm. Right? So, that, that, so it makes sense when you think about it, when, where that fear comes from. If you have a teacher with a ruler who goes, by the way, you should totally have fun with this presentation, but if you mess up, you'll, you'll lose half of your marks and we're going to fail you and you're, you're going to be a loser for the rest of you. You can just go, uh, well, I better do well in this presentation. <laughs> So that's where the fear comes from. But there is a way to overcome it, of course. 
Yeah, definitely. And that's would be the difference for you with your case competitions. You're doing it because you actually want to be there and doing it for the love of it rather than you have to give this presentation or you're going to fail type scenario. I, I completely agree with you. So what is the first step to start to overcome this fear of public speaking? Absolutely. So the first step is a question. And the question is, how would the world change if you were an exceptional communicator? Mm. If you're an incredible speaker, if you could talk any room, if you could talk to anyone with ease, how would the world change? So when we start to think about this question, it helps us see public speaking as more of an empowering tool for change, which is what it's supposed to be, rather than doing the dishes or removing mold somewhere. But what's interesting and fascinating about this question is that we start to also realize that public speaking isn't really just about presentations or speaking in front of a stage or jumping up and down on camera like I probably do on YouTube, but rather a way to make a difference and seeing communication as a way to make our lives better. Because communication is every interaction. Right? It's the person, it's the way we talk to our family, to the way that we have those tough conversations with them, to the great ones with our friends, to the delivery guy, and on and on and on. Once we realize that every interaction is communication, we'll realize that our life will be better if we start to master it. So it's about finding that reason first and holding on to that reason as we move on kind of to the next step. Mm, mm, the reason why that is it's probably the biggest thing and anything we do that we want to accomplish is really finding that reason why so that it's bigger than the task itself. And, the, and then the next step to that, right, is realizing, to your point, right, understanding why, that the message needs to be more important than the fear. Mm. So let's say we all have, I have fear, right? I mean, I started Master Talk when I was 22. I started coaching senior level executives when I was 23. Of course, I had a lot of fear. <laughs> But the difference was the message that I had to share with the world was just way more important. And the message was the following. Do you know any other speech coaches are trying to help 16-year-olds who can't afford a speech coach on how to talk? Not really. You know, if Julia is 16 years old at a high school in Australia or in Canada or in any other country, and she wants to get better but can't afford anybody, she doesn't have any resources. So if I don't man up right? And figure this out. If I don't get the financial resources I need for my executive coaching clients to make better videos for her, then she won't have anything. So that's this idea of the message being more important than the fear. As long as your message always gets the knockout punch, it's not about the fear not being there. It's about the message being more important relative to the fear. The same way, by the way, Brene Brown is one of the top speakers on the planet Mm. and is an expert in vulnerability, is very public, about the fact that she hates public speaking. Like in her first TED talk, she literally said, she's like, I don't really like public speaking. (laughs) She does it for the single mother who has seven kids. What do I mean by that? That mother doesn't have time to read her books. That mother doesn't have time to go through every research annotation of her seven-year research. Mm -hmm. So the only choice Brene has, well, she has two. One is not do the thing and leave the information in books for the wealthy and for everyone else who can read books and have time for it rather to do it. Or she says, Hey, let me spend 30 minutes out of my life to simplify this so that hopefully it reaches that mother. So that's the choice people need to make. That's fantastic. So you talked about 
communication, it's part of our everyday. Like you said, you talk to the mailman, you talk to the person at the grocery store. And once we realize that speeches are just another form of communication, it becomes a whole lot easier. So what are some everyday skills we can work on? So when we come to the day that we have to give that presentation at work that we don't really want to give, but we have all this practice that we've been working on every day to be able to do that. Absolutely. So I'll give you a trick that works every single time. And if you just do this, it'll 10x your communication skills. And the method is called the puzzle method. So public speaking is a lot like a jigsaw puzzle, Rachel. I guess now because of COVID, everyone's doing puzzles. But if I asked you, let's say you're working on this puzzle yourself, which pieces would you start with first and why? I would start with the edge pieces just to get the frame, the framework, and then fill it in from there. I love it. You're, you're clearly a puzzle expert. That's always good to see. So the question we need to ask ourselves now is why don't we do that in public speaking? We have a presentation at work, in the boardroom, in the conference room, in the classroom. So what do we do? We start with the middle first. We shove a bunch of content. Shove, 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 shove. We get to the presentation. We ramble through the entire thing. And then we get to the last slide. And it sounds something like this. Uh, uh, thanks. That's probably like 95% of all the presentations I hear. But there's an easy way to fix this. Treat your presentations like a jigsaw puzzle. Start with the edges first. Practice your introduction 50 times. Not three times. Not five times. Do it 50 times. It's actually not that hard. It'll take you an hour. Because each introduction is what, like a minute or something? And you can take breaks in between. Same thing with the conclusion. What's a great movie with a terrible ending? Last time I checked, terrible movie. Same thing, 50 times the conclusion. And then after maybe an hour or two of practice, you look at your presentation and go, wow, I'm actually pretty good at this public speaking thing. I never tried this intro 25, 50 times. So now you have the confidence that you didn't have before to tackle the middle. But much like puzzles, who does 3,000-piece puzzles on their own? Nobody I know. So get a group together, friends, family, community. Build a community around you and tackle the public speaking puzzle together. Mm, mm, that's awesome. I really love that metaphor. What are some of the strategies that you work with your high-end corporate clients with to help them with their public speaking? Yeah, I actually apply that. So essentially what, how, how the process works for me, and feel free to just implement this, is the key is momentum, right? Mm-hmm. Most people, when they think about public speaking, they go, I can't, I can't do it. Like, uh, I can't be like Brendan. He's, yeah, sure, he's young, but he's like great speaker. I'm not like him. Yeah, let's get rid of that stuff. So the way that we do this is by convincing them that they can master public speaking in the shortest period of time. So what I do the first three weeks, and once again, you could just do this with your friends. I just apply puzzle. So week one, I force them to do the introduction like 50 times, like literally. And then I, and then I, put them all in a group coaching program where they all kind of present their, their introduction. We all give feedback on just that introduction. And then in week two, just the conclusion. And then week three and four, just the content. And then they put all the pieces together. And then I go compare week one to week four. What sounds better? And they all go, oh yeah, this is like 10 times better. And then it's over. Because then at that point, the mindset is broke. It, it breaks, right? They just go, I mean, sorry, the limiting belief breaks. And they go, oh, yeah, I can master anything in communication. Then I go into all the other verticals and it's game over. 
So that's, that's what I recommend for everybody. Just uh, apply puzzle with one presentation. And let's say there was a coaching workshop for you. My recommendation would be make a presentation on your own podcast, because the beauty of that type of presentation, Rachel, is you can repeat that sucker so many times. You can present that to your university, your community, your conference. Mm-hmm. And sure, the first time you're presenting, you're like, uh, yeah, so hi, guys, um, I'm, 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 I'm Rachel and today. But then after the 50th time, you're going to say, Whoosh! you're going to like, you know, swash that hair and just go, Whoosh! you know, and, and just really nail it, right, with a lot of confidence. I don't think you'll struggle too much with it, but, but you know what I mean, easy peasy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely just in breaking through that limiting belief of I'm not a good speaker, I can't do this, and just making them convince themselves and believe themselves that they're able to master those skills for any presentation in the future. Absolutely. I mean, th- that's what happened to me. Yeah, I grew up in a city called Montreal in Canada, and in Montreal, you need how you need to know how to speak French. Like French is a required language. Guess what? I didn't know how to speak it. So my parents looked at me and said, hey, buddy, uh, you need to go to French school. I just went, okay. So we're all uncomfortable with presentations. I wasn't the exception to the norm. But imagine being uncomfortable presenting in a language you don't know. Mm. So when I was in grade one or grade two, I would look at the crowd and go, uh, bon, sure. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I struggled quite a bit. But I, I think the punchline here is if I could do it, why can't you? If I spent my whole life presenting in a language I didn't know, obviously today I, I know the language and I'm grateful for it. But imagine the results all of you can get. You know, I don't think there's any other. I think everyone in Australia's first language is English, so just just do it in English, and you'll be fine. Awesome. <laughs> so once we've got the intro and the outro nailed, fifty, a hundred, thousand times, coming to. <laughs> the core of the presentation, how do we make it captivating? Right. So this is a question I get a lot. And it's all about addressing the symptom versus the core issue. So the symptom is always, you know, people want me to say things like, you know, if you tell a joke, you'll win. If, if you're a bit sarcastic, you know, it, it, no, none of that stuff works. The real core issue when somebody asks me that question is I always respond with, how many times have you actually given this presentation? They always respond twice, once, and I go, okay, so you want to present like a pro. Uh, So if I told you, you want to be a pro, you know, you want to be amazing at an instrument and you played it once, do you think you can go, uh, you know, play it like Mozart tomorrow? Don't think so. Right. And that's the secret. The best speakers on the planet present the same keynote hundreds of times. Tony Robbins is a good example of this. Bernie Brown too, but you can literally name any of them. Tony's been doing the same seminar for 40 years, 40 years, mm. almost 40, right? Like literally he's been presenting the same thing longer than me and you combined have been alive. Mm-hmm. Pretty close. Right. Isn't that insane? If you think about it. Yeah. And that's the point I really want to drive for everyone who's listening is if you want to be exceptional, if you want to be engaging, you first need to do the same presentation at least 10, 15 times if you're getting started. Because what happens is, and this is once again, not our fault. It's just the system in which we're in. If we're at work, we always have to change our presentations. If we're at school, we always have to change our subjects, which forces us to reset the content every time. So we're not focused on delivery. We're focused on survival. 
man, I just need to get through all these seven presentations this week and then I can get a beer or something, you know? But, but that's the thing, right? So we're not focused on saying, how do I make this presentation exceptional? Because there's just too many to go through. But let's say we take your example again. You're talking about your podcast. You've done this 10, 15 times. You're a bit exhausted, but now you know who you are. Like, you know your name. You know, you know what you're trying to do at some point. But after try 15, you're asking yourself a very different set of questions. Because at the beginning, you're saying, uh, did I get my content right? What, what was I supposed to say here? But after 10, 15 times, you're like, is my audience actually paying attention to what I'm saying? Do they actually care? Are they actually engaged? Let me have dinner with these people and let me kind of understand them better. That's what happened to me. I used to be super complex. I mean, if you if you had li- listened to my earlier podcast, like my first appearances where I explained puzzle, I didn't understand it. Like I would just go, oh yeah, there's like seven parts to a speech. It's just, it was super complicated. But then, you know, a six-year-old once came up to me after a workshop that she was listening to and she asked me the best question. She was like, what's a CEO? Like, what's what's any of this? I don't get it. And I just went, right. It'd probably make this easier for people to understand. But I only got there after try 25. So that's why I encourage people to do. If you want to be more engaging, you need to be willing to do the same presentation over and over again. In the same way, by the way, you're becoming a better podcast host as you do more and more episodes. Because even if the guest changes, the host doesn't. Mm, Absolutely. When you're putting a presentation together with the content, and even if it's, it could be a fascinating topic, it could be a really dry topic. The best way to get the information across so that it's memorable is to tell stories. And I work with people creating videos and we always end up talking about like, what's the story? What is the why behind this? But how do you incorporate story into your speech the right way rather than just having a story for the sake of having a story? It's going to fall flat. How do you do it so that it actually relates to your content and it's going to help you get your message across? I love it. That's a great precursor to what I was going to say, which you seem to agree with already. So that's already awesome. So you're right in the sense that I'm very different than most of the industry in the sense that I don't actually recommend people focus on storytelling at the beginning for the exact reason that you mentioned. If you don't have the foundation straight, your story will fall flat. What does storytelling even mean? All of these experts tell storytelling, storytelling. Does it mean I should sit in my basement and watch Disney movies all day and take notes on how these tell stories? Does it mean I should uh, jump up and down? Does it mean I should tell you about what I had for breakfast? Like, it's like, how do you actually practice that? Which is the point. I think for anyone who's trying to storyboard in the context of presentations, you first need to get good at speaking in general. That means getting better at filler words and removing them, eye contact, looking at your audience with confidence, speaking out your items, speaking out your content in a way that actually makes sense. And then over time, as you start to rack up more wins, like I only cover storytelling with my executive high-level people in like the last week, right? And then in that process, that's when we start to say, okay, now let's start thinking about story. And I'll give you a teaser. I have a little video up on this for those who are ready for it. But the idea is storytelling is convincing your audience that you understand them more than they understand themselves. So why is it that we love Disney movies so much? Not necessarily because of the cartoonish characters. I mean, we've never met a, we've never met a mermaid that talks except maybe Halloween or other events that we probably can't talk about on the show. But 
the reason we relate to Ariel, the reason we relate to all of these characters is because the events that those characters go through, we went through ourselves. Mm-hmm. The turbulations, the struggles, the personal issues that these characters face, we relate to them. In the same way, personal stories, when a speaker tells their life story, like when I talk about you know, the fact that I sucked at public speaking my whole life, we relate to them, not because you know me, but because you relate to the story within me in you. Mm-hmm. You go, oh, I went through that story too. And that's the key to storytelling. Once again, focus on the foundation, like puzzle, and then you could focus on that later. Yeah, definitely. You brought up another point there about filler words and saying, especially when you, know, you say, um, between every word because you're um, not sure what you're meant to be saying and then your audience is lost. How do you start to work on removing those? Yeah, you're very good at it, actually. You're actually one of the few people I've been interviewed with who, who says not many of them, so kudos That's to you. a lot of practice at trying to pull it out of my, my conversation and I find for me I'll pause instead of saying the word um and that, that's how I started trying to get rid of it. But, you know, it still happens. Oh, started. You're, you're yeah. doing very well. Like, I'm very impressed, actually. <laughs> Especially with me. You know, you know, a lot of people who interview me, they're, like, very self-conscious. They go, oh, no, Brendan, the speech coach is on the show. He's going to, like, count on <laughs> so, so kudos to you, honestly. You're doing great. And, and the tip you just said is exactly what the strategy is. But let's first understand why we say filler words to tie in exactly what you said, which is the answer. We say filler words to buy time. So you ask me a question and I go, uh, yeah, so, uh, oh, right, here's my answer. To buy time, we say filler words. But the best communicators on the planet do is they still buy time. We're not smarter than anyone else. I'm definitely not. But the difference is we say nothing to buy the same amount of time. That's the secret. So if you want to get better at filler words and removing them from your vocabulary, you need to get better at pausing. So the next question is, how do you get better at pausing? There's a couple of ways of doing this. And the easiest one that is the most effective, and by easy, I mean straightforward, but painful, is what I call the the endless gaze. So essentially what you do is you go to somebody in your house and you stare at them for five minutes. You can blink but you can't talk. You can't do anything else. Sounds simple. Actually, maybe not, but most human beings can't do it for five minutes. They have to talk. They have to say something. And that's the secret that the best speakers don't tell you is that we can pause forever and never make it seem awkward at all. So if you can pause, I do this actually in my in-person work. It freaks people out. I just sit there for five minutes and I just stare at people. (laughs) They're just, they're like, they're holding their breath. It's hilarious. But the point is, if you could do this for five minutes, when you go back to your regular presentations and conversations where you're pausing for two seconds, one second, three seconds, five seconds, it's going to be very easy for you, a lot easier to start bringing your ums and ahs down. And what I always say, the goal is not to get to zero. The goal is to get down by a lot. That's all. So if you're, if you got like, for example, you probably said a couple of ums and us. I didn't notice mm. because it's so little relative to everything you've said on the show versus, you know, other shows I've been on or other people I speak to where it's like half of what they say. So it's very noticeable, but in your case, it's not. So yeah, keep it up. You're clearly doing the right thing. Yeah. Awesome. And talking about pauses as well, in relation to in the presentation itself, 
I think a lot of people might be scared of pausing for too long as if, I don't know, the audience is going to get bored or they'll lose their train of thought or something like that. But pauses can be some of the most powerful moments in a presentation if they're used in the right way. So what is your advice on using pauses to make more impact in your speeches? Yeah, I love that. So two parts there. The first part that you asked, and I'm happy to add on to that, is is why do most speakers, why are we fearful of pauses? The reason is very simple, actually, is because our belief is that whenever we pause, our audience thinks we're stupid. Well, if I pause for five seconds or three seconds, doesn't my audience think that I have no clue what I'm talking about? This is a false belief. This is a belief that we have as, as speakers who are getting started, but that isn't actually true. So notice how in this conversation, even if I pause, it doesn't, you don't relate that to incompetence. You don't go, oh, Brenda doesn't really know what he's talking about. That's just something that we need to fix within ourselves. We need to start to see silences as a vehicle to, as you said very well, to emphasize key messages in our presentations. And the only way to do that, by the way, is to watch yourself present. Mm. You have to watch yourself present. I, I call this the forced silence rule. Once again, I don't want to drive too many tips or else people won't take action on anything today. But, but the idea is simple. If you watch yourself present with silences and you, know, you see yourself on camera do it, you, that limiting belief breaks right away because you clearly see by looking at yourself that it doesn't seem that you don't know what you're talking about. You just go, oh, no, this person seems just fine in the way that they speak, which is me. So I'm going to try pausing and, and doing that more efficiently. So that's the first part. And the second part is how do you do it more strategically? The answer is there's, it's actually a lot easier than you'll think. So at the beginning, you won't get this right. You know, you'll pause and then it'll be very awkward in the way that you kind of transition. But especially if you work on the same presentation, it's, it's actually super easy to do this in a way that's very strategic and also artificial. So it makes it easy for you. So, so I'll give you an example. I'll, I'll do this for like five, 10 seconds. There's a bit that I give in one of my speeches to kind of demonstrate this and then we'll break it down. So the bit set goes something like this. I'll go for like 10 seconds. Amit Kalandri, author of the book Run Machine once said that if you fulfill the wishes of your employees, they in turn will fulfill your vision. But what is your vision at Flow Consulting Group? Your vision is to keep A players like Mike within the business, accelerate company growth so that one day. So notice how in this bit that I just did, all of that is artificial. And I'll break it down. Pause for three seconds for effect. Say the Amit Kalandri quote, if you fulfill the wishes of the employees, pause there. So notice I'm very strategic about the way I do it. I'm literally down to the details. That's not improv. So anyways, the messages, I love the technical. Usually people don't push me this far on the logic, but, but the idea is very simple here to make this like very simple for people. Present the presentation, present it another 10 times, focus on nothing else, just understand your content, like in your presentation. Then after that, get a group of friends. You don't even need a coach, just get a couple of friends who just come up to you and go, and you just ask them, Hey, you know, everyone, can you help me with my presentation? They're watching you and they'll say, uh, Rachel, you know, when you present this slide, you introduce yourself too quickly. We didn't get your last name. Could you say that again? And then somebody else is, well, they're eating like potato chips or something. They're going to be like, oh, actually, Rachel, when you talk about your podcast, can you? And then through those conversations, you're going to start taking notes and then you're going to apply that pausing. 
And then by the time it's like the 15th time you're presented, you won't even recognize yourself as a speaker anymore. You'll mm. go, whoa, like who is that? And you'll never look back. Mm. That is awesome. And I also love what you said before about recording yourself and watching it. And I found just in the handful of YouTube videos that I've done from the first one to the last one, just having to watch myself on video and go, whoa, that's what I sound like to the rest of the world. It really changes the way that you do present because you're so conscious of seeing yourself at that point. So you doing your YouTube videos, you said that was probably more nerve wracking than actually speaking in public on a stage. What have you found in your experience making YouTube videos that's different to presenting in person? Absolutely. I'm always very transparent about it. I hated making YouTube videos at the beginning. I really did. It was super embarrassing, especially for someone like me who had presented so many times. When I saw and my first YouTube videos are still up there for those of you who kind of want to see the journey. I, I was I was really bad relative to what I could be. Because I would literally start my videos with my mic lapo like in the like the middle of my shirt or something. I would just go, uh, hey guys, welcome to Master Time. I was like, man, this guy sucks. I was like, oh no, that's me. <laughs> so the reason why I wasn't very good was mostly because it's a new medium and that's normal. You know, you're gonna get better over time. In the same way, you know, for those who are worried about, you know, podcast guesting and all that stuff, I sucked on my first show. You know, people would ask me questions I didn't know answers to. The only reason I'm comfortable now is because I just keep getting asked the same questions, right? Which is a good thing for me. So, so it's okay. Repetition is key. But the big reason I wasn't good was because I couldn't draw energy for my audience because there is no audience. When you're in your basement alone and your mother's just looking at you like, what are you doing? Like, what are you, like, what are you doing with the camera? It's, it's really hard to show up with that same energy versus when you're in front of like executives and like 50 people who are like have been waiting all day to kind of watch you speak and all the other people kind of presenting after. It's a different, it's a different ambiance. So how do you fix this? I actually cheated. So what I did essentially is I created my own audience. So whenever you see me on a YouTube video, I'm never alone. There's a guy behind the camera who's my best friend and he records me. So I think that the advice I'd love to give people is hack the system in a way that benefits you. Mm. You don't have to do the harder thing. You just need to do the next thing that gets you better. So right now, you know, communication, especially so vague, you could do a camera presentation, you can focus on storytelling, you do all these things. But if there's one thing you want to focus on tomorrow, just apply puzzle to one presentation. Then get a bunch of friends or for, for some reason are eating potato chips and help them give you feedback on your presentation. And then just compare that part of the journey. Then go to the next thing. Then go to the next thing. In the same way someone like me, you know, I started at what, 1920, working on presentations. I only focused on presentations for like a year and a half competitively. All of you don't have to spend that much time. You could spend a couple of weeks, a couple of months, max. Then I went out to conversations. How do I create a more authentic and open space so I could be a better coach? So I had to learn about vulnerability from Brene and all that stuff. Then I got really good at conversations. At least I like to think I am. Then the next thing was tough conversations. How do you have really difficult conversations that are very sensitive with people? especially in the context of my work, you know, a lot of people have insecurities and fears around public speaking. How do you kind of dissect that and remove those beliefs? Mm -hmm. And then today it's camera presentations and how do I speak and add value as a podcast guest without talking for too long and making sure I'm adding value whenever I speak. So it's, it's a journey. It's a lifelong journey. So enjoy it and start it more importantly. 
Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. So to wrap it all up, what would you say is your single biggest piece of advice that you would give someone about starting their public speaking journey? Yeah, for, for me, I think the biggest tip for public speaking specifically is this idea that the reason I started the YouTube channel is because I believe everyone has an idea worth sharing. An idea doesn't mean you need to be on a TED stage or you're a podcaster or you're a YouTuber. It just means that there's an idea that you have that one person cares about. And by the way, that's everybody who's listening. Whether it's a revolutionary invention or whether it's reminding your mom to, to not forget her keys, like everyone has that idea. So I encourage all of you to share it because if you don't share it, the people that it's supposed to impact won't hear it. And if everyone had the courage to share their ideas, I believe the world would be a better place. We would have all the best ideas on the table and we'd be able to advance humanity a lot faster. So I hope, I hope you all take that away and, and share something that matters to you in a way that you're comfortable with. I love that. Brendan, thank you so much. This was an awesome episode. So much great stuff in there. If people want to find out more about you, watch some of your YouTube videos or work with you, where can they go? Absolutely. Master Talk is definitely the best way. So all you got to do is go on YouTube and type Master Talk in one word and you'll find me right there. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Brendan. Thanks, Rachel. The reason why has to be greater than the fear. That was my favorite takeaway from my conversation with Brendan. What was yours? You can check out the Master Talk YouTube channel and website through the links in the show notes. If you are ready to smash that presentation, please share the episode with a friend who would also find value in Brendan's words. Everyone has an idea worth sharing. I can't wait to have your company again next time. Remember, we are only limited by what we believe we are limited to.